And I'll read the title at the end of the talk. <laughs> In some of the suggestions for the uh, theme for the uh, evening talk, I will endeavour to explore in a way to touch upon them to a greater or lesser degree. And with the theme of the retreat itself, in fact, uh, one of uh, ego and experiences, and in saying and defining, speaking of uh, ego, in a fairly common uh, conventional sense as that unsatisfactory activity or behavior, one might say, of, uh, of the I, and manifest, manifesting itself in various times and in various ways through body, speech and mind. And the I arising through those forms and in its manifestation in an unsatisfactory way we say, well, this is the e- ego at work. And a characteristic feature of uh, ego at work is that it seems sooner or later to generate um, difficulty, uh, suffering uh, for oneself and indirectly for uh, others as well. So an important human duty, one might say, and uh, responsibility in life is to be watchful of the formation that ego takes, the unsatisfactory movement of I through body, speech and mind affecting uh, the quality of life both near and far. And at times, as has been stated, there is the usefulness of I in its uh, descriptive mode in which we will speak of particulars. I am talking, I am sitting, I am thinking uh, about this. And in that descriptive mode in which the I is referring to a particular, in that there doesn't have to be any ego, egotism uh, going on. We also see that with the field of thought that takes place, that the various streams of uh, thought which arise, and again our clarity and our understanding about the features of thought, is that tremendous amount of it, in fact, is quite inconsequential. It's like just some chatter um, emerging out of the uh, brain cells of no real significance uh, whatsoever. And we would have noticed during the days of being here that an idea pops in here, a thought there, a recollection here. And sometimes those thoughts and ideas which are popping, generally speaking, that the world of thinking is related very closely and intimately with the field of time. That means past, present or or future. And of the multiple number of thoughts which arise in the, the, the day-to-day circumstances, many of them we don't follow up, we don't um, make much of, and they just belong to the diversity of the inner life, just manifesting us. And hopefully we can develop a capacity and uh, an ability in life to genuinely know and understand what it means to see a thought as a thought. That's all. It's just a thought. And with some thoughts which arise, those thoughts might lead to various activities of heart and mind, 
those thoughts which arise might lead into speech and might lead into the activities of bodily life, doing something in a particular way. When the inner life, the field of thought, starts moving into further thought and into speech, sometimes emotional feeling area, uh, into bodily uh, activities there, then at that time, who are we? Where, where are we? What kind of thought in life is worth manifesting and actualizing in, in the world? So amongst the, the vast repertoire and streams of ideas and thoughts which do circulate in, inside of us, we do find that some of them there is a response to and we actually follow that thought through into some kind of activity. In that moment and moment of following it through into an activity, it may be with blindness and uh, reactivity, uh, in a state of not seeing and understanding, and it can generate um, ego life and dissatisfaction and pain for oneself and others. And there can be too, in the arising of uh, thought, the arising of uh, an idea in some form or other, which might be relatively neutral, or I think I'll just go and whatever, and there can be the arising of thought which reflects awareness and wisdom, it can show itself in respect, in kindness, in uh, uh, integrity, in authenticity of conduct, in the kind of communication that we make uh, in the world, and we say, this is thought, it's wholesome, beneficial thought, and it's being actualized into the world in some way or other. And knowing of ourselves and clarity and wisdom with regard to that is the capacity in life to know what kind of thoughts are worth following up and have the capacity and the ability to follow those through and what kind of thoughts in life do need to be let go of and not making, making much of. And all that requires from us what is called a wisdom, an intelligence from within about ourselves and our relationship to thought. All of that, we might say, is a contribution to um, an alertness and, in a way, a kind of awakening process uh, which, which is taking place. And it is such that the deeper that we have gone within, that the easier it is to be able to track and follow and observe thought, to see a thought as a thought. And so in our natural kind of metaphorical and even perhaps actual language, we'll speak of the head and the heart. We'll speak of being stuck in our thoughts and going deeper into our, into our being. So in the meditative process, we, in a way, as a step-by-step, moment-to-moment activity, to a degree, is uh, minimizing and uh, movement away from the field of thinking, ideas, conceptualizations, the way we keep conceiving of the world, to one of an experiencing of the world, not on a permanent basis, obviously, which is more at a non-conceiving level, raw experience, bare events, bare attention. And there is a difference 
in a relationship to life where there's much more direct immediacy of experience, direct feeling of the quality of life through experience than one of constant interpretation, constantly conceiving of, constant analysis, constant thinking about, as though in just thinking about it will tell us the reality of. We've been brought up, our culture and other cultures of course, have been brought up with a very strong model that thinking produces the solution. Thinking is the answer. Reasoning is the modus operandi. And there's tremendous encouragement, whether it's through education, whether it's through uh, uh, books, whether it's through the gathering of information or whatever, to, to imagine that it just requires more thinking. And we're saying that somehow or other the uh, subscription to the ideology and the dogma of the supremacy of uh, thought is not favourable to wisdom and awareness. That thought isn't isolated, that it is related very directly to intentions, to values, to morality, to ethics, to the kind of awarenesses we have, to the quality of depth that we have of our being. And so we're saying that to be, to, for thought to be informed, it won't come just through the accumulation of more information and more thought. For thought to be informed, it's a duty and the responsibility of a caring human being to go deeper and therefore to go in a non-conceiving way. And that going deeper into a non-conceiving way will influence the field of thought healthily, beneficially for one and all. And our system of thought in our culture, in our education, in the primary uh, uh, influences within our, in our, in our society simply hasn't understood that. And thus thought, thought and all the ideological beliefs that um, emerge through it. So in running deeper into our, our being, that has an influence on the thinking. But also in running deeper, it does something else as well, which is equally as important. And that is, it raises or reveals the spectre of the human condition. And thus it can show itself, as one sees, in the formations of desire, which uh, are talked about, that come. In the negativity, in the, the aggression. In the, the thought to get revenge. In the um, projections that take place. In the agitations that take place, which seep into consciousness in the, with some intensity at times and hardly noticeably at other times. So that in our capacity just to be still and to be silent and to let things, let ourselves settle deeper into our being, that which is unsatisfactory within, which we put it under the general label of ego, that which is unsatisfactory within will begin to stand out that much more clearly. It has to. 
in the same way that sometimes one goes into the Gothic cathedral and one sees an, on the nave and on, on the altar a, a beam of light which uh, shines through from uh, a window far above. And as that beam of light shines through, the very act of it shining through reveals the dust in the cathedral as equally. It has to. The more light one brings, the more the, more the dust gets revealed. And one says, can I live with this? Sometimes it isn't easy. And one begins to face things, not only of the present, but also from the past, which is, isn't easy to work with. The light is there, the dust is being uh, revealed, and one finds oneself, by necessity, as a responsibility, we might say, with working with oneself, and to see what is unsatisfactory within, how does that manifest in body, speech and mind, and what's the impact of that in the world in which I live. And all of that is part of the activity of looking and going deeper within. Some situations of going deeper within, there are specifically recurring patterns. One has a particular addiction. One's, um, one is constantly feeling um, negative. There is uh, so much anxiety. There's such a stress going on in one's day-to-day life. One goes through a period of intense pain which lasts one year or two years or whatever it, whatever it might be. And when there's a particular situation which has a strength to it, which has a continuity and a recurrence to it in the field of time, it is a clear and unmistakable message, this is unresolved. It's unresolved. It needs to be addressed, to be worked with, to be looked at, and to specifically notice the more subtle influences and manifestations of it. But unfortunately, the human condition being what it is, that we might go through a wave of whatever fear, negativity, anxiety, um, mood, or whatever, and when we're out of that particular state, often the last thing that we want to do is to um, actually make it a theme in our life. One says, I've got this as a theme already, I don't need to encourage it as a theme. <coughs> but it's a theme towards resolution. It's a theme, in making it a theme is to notice the subtleties as well as the grossness of when it stands out. And sometimes we know that when something is unsatisfactory and it stands out, we really are at a crossroads with our awareness. Is this going to be subscribed to and continue, or is it going to stop? Is there a willingness to really look at the situation, whatever it might be, in a different light, or am I just going to go along in the same old way, causing whatever, distress for myself and distress for others? And there are points that we can come to in the looking and investigation into ourselves where we really are at a crossroad and we do have to stop and say, is this going to go on in this way or is it going to stop? And that takes, of course, a determination, a commitment, sometimes um, um, uh, an effort, um, a real facing of the actuality there. 
And in that, that's all requires and, and needs uh, from us that awareness which is able to work with. With thought itself and the field of thought, the activity of, of thought, it can be that we give thought, the ideas, the concepts that arise with us, much more authority than they really deserve. The thought is just a thought. And to letting that register well with us. When, sometimes in the meditation, people will say in, on a retreat or whatever, um, I've just spent every day, every sitting, walking, standing, whatever, uh, thinking, 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 thinking. And this thinking is driving me up the wall. It's all I ever seem, seem to do. I seem to be a, a production line of thought and that's where I'm, I'm at. And it can be, of course, disconcerting if, and, uh, to be in such a situation. But one has to be watchful and vigilant that there is a description and then there's the reaction to the description. And then in the reaction to it, the reaction can then go along the lines, why am I thinking so much? I'm always thinking. I can't stop thinking etc. And the thinking about thinking and it just gets into a role and the thought can arise equally. God, I'm so aware of my thinking. But that can be just another thought in the stream of the thinking and it makes no difference. And one says, I am so aware of all my thinking. There may not be any awareness. It may be a thought which is arising in the, in the stream of thought. But it's not necessarily an act of awareness. It's not necessarily a seeing. And we can confuse and misunderstand what is a thought and what is awareness of. And sometimes the thoughts, they cheat, mislead, deceive, or whatever. Because we confuse awareness with thought. We confuse the phantom with the fact. So, in all of this, this is all part of the process, in a way, of working with ourselves, knowing, hopefully, as well and clearly as possible with ourselves. If there is a particular in life which is addictive, obsessive, one gets caught up frequently with, then that conviction of being with and working uh, with is, and it's followed through, is the act of awareness. If it's just, well, I really should change this, I should work on this, I really must let this go, I must learn to accept this, I must really look into this, etc., etc. But there's no outcome from that one then knows it was just some thoughts about those experiences. Thoughts don't really have the power unless the thought is coming from a depth of awareness. Then that one asks, what is, uh, was asked, what is, when we speak of awakening here, what is, what is awakening? One of the aspects of going deep and deeper into ourselves is that 
when there's less ego, that which one knows to be unsatisfactory and one doesn't want, and it's generating whatever conflict and confusion for oneself and others, those forces. When that is going on in in oneself, and one really feels the obstruction, the difficulty, the unsatisfactoriness of it, and the I will be, of course, wrapped up in in all of that. As we go deeper, it begins to lose on consciousness some of its grip and spiritualized at the moment here has acknowledged again and again or religious life how we might phrase it the significance of this in other words it, a, con, a popular view is all the problems that I have got or whatever they might be need working on specifically psychotherapy does an important role uh, in this working on particulars it can be very important. But one mustn't forget, too, that one transformative experience can dispel any problem that, inner problem that a human being has without actually ever, ever working on it. No matter how deep, how great, how continuous, whatever. One mystical experience, one insight, one act of understanding, one shift of consciousness can dissolve and break up once and for all any problem. And therefore, the idea and the notion I I can't get rid of this unless I work on it through A, B, C and, and, and D isn't necessarily true. And people do sometimes through a religious experience, a sudden um, moment, a, a discovery, and sometimes even, and regularly too, through non-discovery. Non-discovery. In, a, in other words, people come into situations, these kind of environments and other types, have particular problems and issues, feel that they are kind of almost a pressure, a curse on one's life, a karma of one's life, or whatever, that there is no recognized turning point between having the problem and it disappearing. There's no knowledge of the moment from when it was to when it wasn't. And the person has said, and people have written and wrote, and come back and said on retreats and communicated. I came with the problem and I left without it and I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. I never addressed it, I never looked at it, I never worked on it or, or whatever and yet it's not anywhere and days, weeks, months and years go, have gone by and it simply has not reappeared in my life. So, in change and transformation, in the shift of consciousness which takes place, for some, it's clear, it's recognisable, the time, the period, the moment of its occurrence is, uh, it has registered and does register, and one can remember the very moment it happened. And for others, there is no such tangible moment, yet the change has come about. Not suppressed, 
not denied, not avoided. It's the issue dependent on consciousness has collapsed and disappeared. And one knows that what was a problem is no longer a problem. And one wonders in the mystery and the mystique of things where it came from and where it went. And it's inexplicable. So nothing in a way in the inner in the inner life as such can really be said to work to uh, some prescription or mechanical order life, the inner life, life itself has too much mystery to it for us to organize things neatly into cause and effect. Can't be done. So then we ask, what is, what is awakening in its uh, uh, spiritual sense? And awakening in its spiritual sense, it is sometimes thought to be I think rather too exclusively, um, as some kind of permanent abiding state of mind. But it's a misunderstanding. So in the um, um, meditations and in the instructions that went uh, uh, today, there's um, the awareness coming to the states of mind. And Sometimes in that coming to the states of mind, the states of mind might be, say, a stream of thought. We put our attention to it, and if we endeavour to look at a thought, we know that the thought disappears into the emptiness of things. The very action of bringing full awareness to thought actually dissolves thought. It takes the power out of thought. When we're really thinking about something, and it almost needed minimal awareness, Minimal consciousness. And in one says, then your awareness comes in to look at that thought. Gone. The awareness has a dissolving potency to it. And, and where did it go? How come it was there, but when the awareness comes to bring attention to it, I can't locate it in consciousness. And as long as that awareness stays as it is, there's no place nor opportunity for thought to come in. I have to, as it were, sacrifice some of the awareness, the energy, as it were, has to go out of the awareness so that thought can begin to take over again. But in stillness and in in that impeccable alertness, what can thought do? Just in one moment. Where is it? So this kind of deceptive influence that thought easily can... Uh, so, is such that we endeavour to bring an awareness to the states of mind. That bringing of awareness to the states of mind still means, in the nature of dependent arising, we have varying states of mind, whether one's a, a Buddha or, or a lesser. There's still states of mind which are rising. Anyone who knows the text well, well enough of... Uh, um, of uh, Siddhartha or uh, sages and saints of past and present any looking through the text one can see that in the communications in the descriptions in the experiences there was a range of various states of mind and those various states of mind came and went according to circumstances and hopefully appropriate and skillful ones from 
humour, to compassion, to love, to uh, equanimity, and so forth. So, awakening is not a continuity of a certain state of mind, because there is no record of it in the entire history of humanity. But awakening is such, is that realization in life that in the various states of mind which do arise and, and occur, that it's that the nature of that those states of mind is that the suffering has gone out of them. That's all, the suffering has gone out of them. And that suffering disappearing out of out of the state of mind doesn't as some people think, well, if one didn't have any suffering life how could one feel empathy with others? How could one feel closeness? But in truth of things, it actually is the other way around. When one isn't suffering in life, therefore the state of mind isn't such a block to seeing in life because of all that's going on in. The degree of empathy is so close, it's, it's unshakable and inseparable. That one can say in one's heart of hearts, without any uh, fiction or or deceit, what I see is none other than myself with a different name and form. What I see is none other than myself with a different name and form. And that seeing comes from the depths in which suffering which makes so easily for separation and division and that's the beauty of awareness. The, the, the majesty and the, 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 the dignity is that awareness itself, in its illuminated, awakened nature, reveals all things equally. And thus the, the, the process of meditation is to bring about that awakening while acknowledging various states of mind arising and and, and passing and so forth but one has, as it were, seen through those states of mind which arise and one feels that natural uh, empathy with existence so deep and so natural that the idea of birth and death has kind of lost its significance lost its substance but all of that is in response really to our exploration and to discovery. All of that response requires, of course, a tremendous amount of dedication and commitment. In that dedication and commitment that takes place both here and elsewhere, it's certainly one aspect of it is to find the wisdom in life which is a wisdom which is practical a wisdom which helps you and I to live intelligently, to live wisely, to live with an understanding. And I said earlier, somebody reminded us a little while ago, that to say wisdom is God. But in saying that wisdom is God, wisdom is the supreme thing. In no way does, could that ever imply there is somebody who owns the wisdom. That there is somebody who has wisdom. Who possesses wisdom. 
That seeing is ignorance. It is a blindness to see in that way. And though in conventional life we say, oh, this person has some wisdom, and this person has a little wisdom, and this person has no wisdom whatsoever, etc., etc., et there, and the same thought can go to oneself, etc., etc. Wisdom is wisdom. It doesn't belong. It's not something for an I to make ownership of. And if we're not making ownership of wisdom, there is just wisdom. And our awareness can recognize the showing and the revealing of wisdom. And the tendency, the tendency to grasp onto wisdom and then put somebody's eye to it isn't necessary. And I'm sure there are plenty of occasions in one's life where one is in a situation and one sees the wisdom of the situation the wisdom of the circumstances the wisdom of the environment the wisdom of the nature the wisdom of the group the wisdom of the person or whatever surely there's enough emerging and standing out to see where the wisdom is if we really listen to life or really are attentive to life and really connect we will see, hear, feel, smell, taste, touch, sense, know the wisdom. And it would be a terribly distorted view to, as it were, put it all into one human being. To actually consider it's all in one mind, or primarily in one mind. Human beings have a capacity to recognize wisdom. And there's a wisdom that goes on in life so mysterious and so mystical that in an extraordinary way one has to run very deep for this extraordinary way there is a wisdom which allows and enables the ego to be on the earth I've got to very very deep because totally against all the thinking so even the conventional idea that we've been speaking of during the days that there's ego and all that's involved in the ego and let's go deeper to find what wisdom is so we don't live this selfish, arrogant, conceited self-centered existence or whatever but if we're running deeper into these things to find out what is the wisdom of life in an extraordinary way the the wisdom enables the ego extraordinary way and some of those things are inexplicable. Life is beyond mind's ability to comprehend. In the, same, in the same way, when one goes deep into life and there is less ego in one's life, less demand upon life, less, just the less selfishness and all less neurosis that's going on in life. How is it that when a human being is coming out of that condition, or is out of that condition, that the indicator and the natural uh, um, um, outpouring is love. Why, why, why should it be love? Why should it be an unstoppable friendship and kindness towards life? Well, or, or compassion, or, or interconnectedness, or uh, 
a depth about something. And it's hard to understand but why, why is it that human beings who are not charged with ego are genuinely, as their norm experience, happy human beings. Genuinely happy. So in a diminishing of one, the ego is constantly looking for pleasure and securing and getting this and have pleasurable sensations, actually goes against its own interests. And yet, going in going deeper into life and, and therefore deeper into being, that in the difficulties of ego, losing its power and potency, it reveals something beautiful out of a human being. And happiness is beautiful, love is beautiful, friendship is beautiful, empathy is beautiful. And all of that, it's those deep experiences showing themselves in the day-to-day life, one would say, it's the child of wisdom. It's the outburst from awakening. It's, it's the, um, the outpouring from God. And so our looking and our, and our exploring is that while it would be easy to conclude oh, um, why is ego so bad? Why is it so unsatisfactory? In relationship to what it appears to stop us seeing, it's more than that. It's an absolute tragedy. That this fictional I, where all it's built up, and that we get lost and engrossed in, and then years go by and we live in terror of losing because of death, and that whole constructed self and world that we live in, not only because it's unsatisfactory of itself, but more importantly, what it stops us from realising. Realising something which birth and death can't touch and can't take away. So our awakening, our enlightenment, our realising is not a state of mind, but in the mystery of things it reveals states of mind. Joy, happiness, wonder, bliss, contentment, peace, equanimity, love, compassion, etc. And it generates a genuine, healthy, emotional psyche and that then generates an influence beneficial on thought and that generates the beneficialness in terms of activities of body, speech and mind in general. Sometimes, as I say, finally, sometimes these things that I speak about this evening or at other evenings um, are not so distant nor far removed. And it's not at all unusual in different times and places for a person to say, yes, I've I've had glimpses of that. It's not something so distant and and, uh, uh, alienating. And there are moments when we are profoundly touched with life. And just a small, tiny, incidental event stirs something from the very depth and I say that stirring from the very depth of our being which we uh, respond to and which affects us 
in such a uh, wondrous way. In a way, is the intimation of what an awakened and enlightened life is. And thus it manifesting itself in a myriad number of ways from, from one day to the next. And all deep teachings and profound teachings could, in that respect, um, be such that we can never be satisfied with anything less than the best. And the best is a liberated life, an enlightened life, a, a, free, a free life. And anything else other than that is a kind of fudge. It's a compromise. It's a falling, a falling short. So let's keep our practices, awarenesses, uh, alive and, and alive in, in, in the spirit, in the spirit of all that we've been doing here and uh, elsewhere. May your beings see into things. May your beings be liberated. May your beings be touched with joy from one day to the next. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.